welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. You're listening to season two. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Marquis and I am your host. And today I am speaking with Michael Hales. Michael started at the very bottom and took over his first company at 21 years of age due to seeing an opportunity that was there for the taking. His first 20 years of running businesses within the domestic and commercial construction industry taught him lifelong transferable skills. He's employed hundreds of people over the years and the communication skills that uh, he has, you know, and, and imparts is invaluable. Working at the highest level within the London corporate and commercial construction world is a lesson in itself. He's a traveler and a lover of people, and at this moment, he's down in Latin America helping bring Colombians, digital nomad, and expats together in the beautiful city of Medellin. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for having me on today. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> pleasure is all mine. Pleasure is all mine. We've been uh, back and forth on LinkedIn quite a bit, and you know, it's nice that you're finally here. We can get to connect in this way. So. Yeah. So I want to go back to 21 year old Michael. You know, you've had so much, you know, experience in the world of business. So what does your career look like to bring you to this point? Why don't we start there? So there's some bits I'll leave out on my LinkedIn and it's the, the earlier period between school and that 21 year old Michael. And that was a parachute regiment. Uh, I left school and joined the army. So I kind of dip at in and out of the army then at 21 um, a free man <laughs> yeah. so I one of the reasons for leaving the army or the reason for leaving the army Marky, is that I don't handle taking direction very well and <laughs> never did uh, at a younger age as you get older obviously you feed into that you know you know it's better mm. but from a young man when you're brought up on uh, council estates and rough areas you don't you know, you don't need someone else telling you what to do. So going into business, I was lucky to fall into an opportunity where my brother-in-law, Jason, at the time was running his gas heating company, boiler installation company. But he was more of a, how do I put it, a fun time boy. He just wanted to go out and party. But he was very good at his job. So I saw an opportunity there to uh, give him what he wanted which was never to, be, yeah. never to really deal with client-facing and customers. He just wanted to go do some work and then get paid. He didn't want to have to deal with everything else, like the billing and the taxation and VAT. So this is where my chance come in. I took over from him. He had a plethora of work always offered to him because be it what it is, Jason was very good at what he does. So there was a lot of opportunity yeah. for growth that he wasn't taking advantage of because he just wanted, he wanted to get to the pub. I mean, he's British. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So we we come up with an agreement that I would take over billing, custom facing, and go 50-50 yeah. at that point. 
but within a week or two weeks, I was seeing this wasn't really viable for uh, sustainable growth because he was never going to do nothing except put in boilers. So as long as our deal was kept at 50-50, he was happy for me to scale in any way I wanted to. And this is where I did. What I'd done was I took the work that was coming in from his good name and I used it to secure more and more clients and bring on more engineers. And we ended up with about 11 engineers installing boilers. One pivot I did take there, Marky, I want to kind of roll into is at the time, eBay was becoming a big thing back in the UK and everyone was using it. And I saw an opportunity on eBay to sell boilers yeah. with an installation. So I had a good, at the time, I had a very, very good relationship with Valiant and Worcester. And I was able to figure out deals with them where I bulk buy boilers at a fraction of the cost or half of the cost yeah. of what it was to buy it in the merchants. So that enabled me to install boilers, sell boilers and install boilers for maybe 10, 15% on top of what it was for a installer to go buy one. Thus enabling okay. clients to come our way because back, even back then, Marky, we were charging in dollars around about eight to $1,000 per installation. And this was generally throughout the board on all installers. So they would make very strong money so the, the customers knew this so when they'd go on eBay and they'd see all this packaged together for a, cheap, a lot cheaper price than what they were getting quoted by the local gas or uh, British gas we, uh, we kind of exploded at that point which was really good but that only lasted a few years as you can imagine everyone jumped on the bandwagon and saw what was going on sure but it's good you know it, it enabled me to live a how do I put it? I went to Vegas seven New Year's. I've been there 13 times with it. It enabled me to have a good lifestyle <laughs> by uh, leading yeah, the way with that. So, yeah, leading the way um, is right. It sounds like you're an early adopter and a, a trendsetter more than anything. Um, that's really interesting. So I'm curious, you, you, you coin yourself as a, a digital nomad. You know, did a lot of that come from your time in the army were you moving around and being stationed in different places? Where did that love come from? The love really didn't come from the army. The love come from just traveling at that early age. First places like Falaraki, uh, being in London, or I could shoot off out of the country 10 times a year, like without issues, into Europe at a yeah. very low cost. So that kind of inspired the lifestyle I lived since then. I've always, like this is my 22nd New Year's out of the UK this year. Okay. So I would always travel for New Year. I've just, this is where it really, it really stems from, this bit of traveling that I was in a bad, bad place in my life. And I was living in, just got out of the army, I was living in this kind of, uh, just a flat down in a place that was, it was just horrible. Anyway, I was just get. It was just before I got into this job role, and I didn't really have money per se, and I was just stuck in on New Year's Eve, and it was just so depressing. And like your mates would text you, or they go on the sound sound, and the ticket prices were ridiculous because it was New Year's Eve. And I just made a promise to myself, like from that point on, it was just never going to be me. Like this isn't going to happen. Like every year, I'm going to make sure I'm doing something, and and then that that spiraled out of control to just wanting to travel as much as possible. Obviously, there's been lulls in my life where I've got in relationships and, you know, it, it calls it down a bit. But eventually, yeah. they never lasted. And I was back on the road. 
Sure. So with all this moving around, it seems you've had a lot of experience you've taken from different places. There's one line that stood out to me um, uh, on your LinkedIn, and it's that I I never believed in imposter syndrome, not because it's not real, but because spending time, you know, an anxious thought would have been, you know, a deterrent to my personal growth. Where did that outlook come from? You know, like you're you're at this place now and we're going to talk about your your consultancy in a minute and your company. But like leading up to this point, how did you, you know, have that outlook and, you know, really just like push through and not fall into the trap that a lot of entrepreneurs do and thinking that they don't deserve this or they're they're faking it and people are going to find them out. What, what was your kind of method to get to get past that? It was really not really, it wasn't so much my method, it was watching other people struggle with their internal battles in their head and seeing how much they were jeopardising their lifestyle because they couldn't get out of their own head. They kept telling themselves that they didn't belong and, and eventually you tell yourself something and enough times it's going to become a reality. You know, you need to, yeah. like, I've got this mechanism where I shut down negative thoughts within 17 seconds because they tend to spiral out of control. And this is what happened to me at a younger age of life. I would sit there just contemplating something. And there's a famous uh, quote, it's a novelist, it goes something like, many of the worst things that in my life never actually happened because nine times out of 10, you think they're they're only in your head. You know, you always, especially growing up, you tend to think of a worst case scenario. And I learned at an early age that this is not healthy and it's not good. I, unfortunately, to say I lost friends to mental health issues. And even though I have, and I'm not saying I'm not prone to it, throughout my life I've been in and out of uh, episodes where I've just locked myself in my house and not come out for a couple of weeks. But I've always managed to just know that life is so great out there and you can achieve anything. And I saw a lot of people as well where I traveled about improve on their own education and manage great things in life just because they were dedicated to it. They didn't have the background, they didn't have the money, but they had this determination that just said no. And when you see that, and traveling, you will get to see that a lot more than when you're, uh, and this is no disrespect to anyone out there, when you're based in a hometown, you get small town mentality. And you get a lot of this keeping up with the Joneses and they got their yeah. car. And so you waste, you waste 80% of your paycheck just on a car and a house and you live on 20%. You know, that's not living but you're keeping up with Joneses. So you're, you're forced yeah. into thinking that is living. And I learned earlier on that I'd rather live in, a, live in a shared house, let's say, than live in a mansion and have money to travel wherever I wanted to. So that's kind yeah. of, it's all these exposures to travelers that kind of set me on this path in life to saying, no, you can do it. Like, you can do whatever you set your mind to. Obviously, there's limitations, physical limitations on things like that, but mentally with businesses, if you put in the time and you put in the effort, I truly believe that mostly everyone can get to their end goal. I always used to say, shoot for the stars, because if you fall short, you're going to still hit the sky. I mean, I've I've used that from somewhere, I expect, along the line. It still resonates to this day, because if you try your very, very hardest you're always going to get somewhere. 
Oh, that's beautiful. I'm so glad you said that. And, you know, congrats to you for, you know, realizing the spot that you're at, but not, you know, succumbing to those those thoughts, because it, it is something that plagues a lot of people, especially business owners. Right. Like being in this spot, it's very lonely. And so, you know, um, good for you for having that that outlook. And it really does come down to mindset. That's what I heard from you. Right. It is, you know, you hear it all the time as a kid. You can do anything to put your mind to. Right. But and, and it just seems like so, you know, cliche, but it, it really is so true. And, you know, um, what is it? You know, Henry was it Henry Ford who said whether you're right or wrong, you know, you're right, you know, Right. And, and so it's just like having that mindset and like if you believe it, you can do it and just having that positive outlook on everything. So kudos to you for uh, for, for breaking out of that. Um, I, I'd love to transition now and, and talk more about about your company. You know, we're we're here. We're looking at um, uh, FadeDigital.com and I, I want to hear more about it uh, on your landing pages as we eat software. Can you just break that down for for the listeners? You know, what, what does Fade Digital do? You know, and, and what change are you bringing to the world? We'd love to know. You know, what, what the inner workings look like. So yeah, I love the tagline. We eat software. It's great. Uh, we, yeah. we do a lot of it's catchy, <laughs> yeah. and it does get the attention. And, and you know, David Fay, who is the founder of uh, the company, he used that tagline to great effect and it does really work because it grabs mm-hmm. the attention mm-hmm. but what it also tells you is what we do at Fave yeah. we eat software by implementing software but we also have a team of engineers so if you have a, a CRM and you have an API that you want to implement within your systems to get the two softwares working currently we have a team of 30 engineers that will uh, build that out for you to implement it within the software we want to make not we want it but we do make software we make the best software in the in the world better as you've probably read in the tagline yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. what we do we take the apis and we kind of amalgamate them to make a better product we also build standalone products. We work directly with Zoom, uh, with Sugar CRM's number one professional partner in the world. We work with Salesforce. Sorry, guys, you can probably hear this horn going off. Uh, unfortunately, that's the first time it's done it since I've got here. <laughs> that's just that's just real life. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So I was brought on to Faye. Do you want me to go more into this? the reason why I was brought into Faye, Marquis? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay, so I was brought into uh, Faye Digital to work alongside Asana. Now, for those of you that know Asana, it's a productivity app, and one Marquis obviously knows very well. That's how we made our first contact. So I was brought in to build out the professional service practice at Faye for Asana, working in North America. Now... Mm. How do I, someone who's come from a construction background, all of a sudden yeah. work in software alongside software engineers and sales and tech industry when I have no formal education within that? Well, it's quite simple. From the UK, living in South America, <laughs> all of it. Yeah, I mean, some would say it's a dream come true, depending on what you want in life, obviously. <laughs> But for me, it really was. I've always wanted to transition. The reason I went to Medellin is because it was a tech startup spot. You're getting a lot of uh, a lot of tech companies going down there with seed money because 
their money can go a lot further, obviously. Offices, living, de- um, research and development. So I ended up down there yeah. specifically because in the line of work I moved into after construction, which was more to consult, start up consultancy and scaling, it was the place to be. It was that or Bali, and Bali wasn't open, and Bali's really saturated. So Medellin yeah. was the, the ideal choice and the go-to, and it was easily accessible at the time. So went down there and kind of just fell in love with Medellin. The problem with that is I kind of fell out of love with consulting and working. <laughs> so I sure. kind of took, work took, uh, took a back door and kind of crept out. And I started looking at the community down there. And there was such a big nomadic community in Medellin. But what wasn't happening is there was no community gatherings, meetups, stuff I'd been used to attending in the past, in London and other countries. So I initiated a group, a Facebook group, called We Work in Medellin. Originally it was called We Work for Medellin, but We Work in Medellin, because I I had an office in We Work, I was supposed to be going in there, I ended up just being uh-huh. part of the community. We, we named the company We Work in Medellin, or the social impact group as it turned out to be, and we, we used to meet once a week, top of the roof. Then it got a bit out of control, so we started extending that and adding different meetups to like pitch events, yeah. tech pitch events and scale-up events and all types of different events I was hosting around the city. Now, unbeknownst yeah. to me at the time, the VP of Faye, um, Ross, he was coming down to visit me at these events and we got talking I didn't really understand what he'd done because you, when you've got 70 to 150 people trying to talk to you when you're doing these events you don't really have much time for people so I got I didn't really get to know Ross uh, on a level where I knew what he'd done and what he was doing just as he was a lovely guy and we got talking after about eight months of running these events uh, Ross reached out to me and said that they were building out this practice and because of my management skills and my people skills and what they've seen, they would like to offer me a chance to come within the business. Now, what they said that really stood out to me, Mucky, and it really resonates with me is that they don't hire credentials, they hire talent. They don't care about credentials. You can have all the credentials in the world, but you can still deliver on a product terribly, regardless of what that product is. So they wasn't worried about whether you're a project manager, whether you're obviously if you're a developer, you need to be an engineer. But when it comes, yes. But when it comes to uh, consultancy analysts, uh, practice leads, and managers, given the right person, you can train anyone into these roles. So mm-hmm. we talked through this maybe on two to three hour sessions and where this role would lead. And he was telling me about how the platform plays out throughout their company structure. They're a remote yeah. company, though they do have offices in uh, Colombia, the United Kingdom, uh, California, Texas, New York. You do not have to be consigned to a office. It was fully remote. And that's one of the things yeah. that brought me, like attracted me the most, that I didn't have to leave wherever I was if I wanted to continue traveling, it was available. But it was also the culture within the company. Everyone was happy, I got to speak to some people before I joined uh, the team. And 
a feel for when I've done some research on Faye about how well they were leading the industry. Faye have been around in integrations in 25 years. David Faye has been building it out. They've been they're the uh, worldwide sugar CRM partner, one of Salesforce's professional mm. partners. So it, not only would I be getting a door, would I be go walking through a door that was opening very wide into a tech industry I'd I would never have got into. It was opening yeah. into working with Asana. Now, that blew me more than anything because Asana, I'd been using for 18 months, two years, to work with small teams when we were implementing, when we were scaling teams uh, and companies. Okay. Because the productivity aspect of using Asana, even on a personal level, is catapulted my productivity by at least 40 to 44%. And it Amazing. was doing this for other companies and smaller businesses that I was working with. And not just that, the two guys, obviously, the chief uh, executive officer, chief operating officer of Asana, have amazing backgrounds. They both come from Facebook. You know, I believed yeah. in their product. I believed in their story and I believed in where they were going. <laughs> so I get carried yeah. away there. <laughs> no, I think you're in the right... No, I think you're in the right place at the right time and like your expertise coming to, you know, to the forefront when uh, you got connected with Ross. I think it was just perfect timing. Um, I, I'm curious just quickly, how, how big is your team right now? Are, are you working as a as a solo consultant um, for Asana specifically? So each practice team is anywhere usually between three and 30 people. At the moment, okay. I'm just onboarding my team. We have a... Uh, analyst starting soon and another consultant the, okay. the problem it's not a problem Mucky but when I told you that we hire talent and not uh, credentials is the problem when you want to scale because yeah. finding talent is a lot harder than finding credentials you can find people with credentials just by doing a quick LinkedIn search but to find people yeah. with talent is a lot different I have more ways of finding talent, and that's how we come across you, or I come across you, yeah. because you look for people that are thinking outside the box, and, and that's how Faye found me, that's how I found you, that's how we, we build relationships. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm seeing so many more job posts now on LinkedIn where the the owner or the leadership will say, hey, we're looking for this position. Don't send me a resume. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what your credentials are. Send me links to work that you've done. Right. Be prepared to answer these questions because it really is about what you can produce for the company versus, you know, how well educated you are. And that's not the case in every space, but I'm definitely seeing a lot more of that come from a lot of these organizations. Uh, I'd love to know who who are your customers, you know, and what does a typical engagement look like for for Faye right now? So a typical we're we're a solutions partner, so we deal with yeah. uh, enterprise level uh, 
teams and companies. So, mm. for example, I'm, I'm probably under some type of MBA not to tell you the company. We don't have to name any names or anything. If you also wanted to kind of tell us like industry uh, and well, you know industry team size and things like that, everywhere from clothes apparel to mining to uh, NGOs, uh, it's amazing. Look, it's yeah. across the board that the company, as you probably know, the companies that actually use Asana is very surprising. The list yeah. of clients that they services you would never think would use Asana and before I come into this enterprise level uh, position I would have never thought this too because I always thought of you know that they'd be using their own CRMs and their own systems but product took me a while to align myself and realize that productivity is a completely different software package we can Mm -hmm. amalgamate as you know the APIs in Asana is like over 200 now right So everything's viable, everything's possible. So a lot of companies are seeing this. So our standards, what what we tend to see in enterprise level customers is they tiptoe timidly into the field. So it'll be like a few, like a marketing team. And then once we implement workflows and training within that team that team will, will share their productivity with other teams and that's how you onboard other well the sales AEs would onboard other teams within their enterprise yeah when it comes to those engagements like what does um, what are you coming up against what are the biggest problems because I, I, I can imagine and we also service enterprise clients so they, they have the these tools that uh, they either don't know you know how to use or they they had uh, you know uh, subpar onboarding from the tech partner and then they have this big empty box they have no idea what to do with so are, are you taking their their systems and their tools to the next level are you starting from scratch and helping them implement these tools then well what are the biggest problems that you're seeing in um, those engagements that you're that you're involved in well we have t- two primary packages that we we start with before tailored uh, packages and that is optimize and kickstarts so if it we're working okay. with an and obviously you've heard of these type of packages so if we're working with a yeah. company it's a kickstart and if we're working within a construct of users that already have asana implemented within their systems then we do like an optimized package where we go in uh, we do this discovery we find out what's going on and then we do a design yeah it evolves and we're seeing larger and larger uh, packaging where we work, where we tailor this uh, system. But what I will say about any software is it's more about change management and user adoption than it really is about the yeah. software. You can have the yeah. you can have the best product in the world. Uh, let's look at actually I probably shouldn't say names, but there's a there's a company out there at the moment that they're a they're a they're a inferior product but they are spending millions upon millions upon millions on marketing. So you don't have to have the best product in the world. You just have to have the best marketing team. (laughs) But with all that said, if you don't implement that correctly, and that's where good professional partners like ourselves come in, Mm -hmm. we implement 
we implement a different strategy. We don't just like implement it into their system, sell it all up for them and walk away. We're all about long-term yeah. change management. We know change management don't take, a, it's not a month. Usual adoption isn't two months. We're talking 18 months mm-hmm. to two years to really truly okay. get a cult following within the company that are following through on the methodologies and the protocols that are implemented at the first instance. But it's about training the right people at the offset. You know, the, the early adopters, the advocates, yeah. the key stakeholders. Can we, can, we, can we dig into that some more? So you're saying that your, your onboarding, your training for these teams can take anywhere from 18 to 24 months? Is that no, your understanding? No. This is, okay. we offer, the packaging we offer, we try to train the trainer to use this adoption method. Got it. Because we don't, okay. we do offer packages called Axia, which are lump sum packages of hours where we rev- we do quarterly reviews, training sessions, and we go in periodically every month to just overview what's going on, who's adopting this uh, instance. If someone isn't, then we're obviously writing emails to try and follow them up. Because yeah. the, we know you just can't chuck it down throats. And that's why Asana works really well. Because with Asana, you use smaller teams. As we've seen from the engagements, we see smaller teams come on board and we train the smaller mm-hmm. teams. Then from the adoption of the smaller teams, we see the larger teams come in and get involved. It just It's just a more fluid and more natural and a more organic way of growing a software within a com- company, especially with something like Asana. Because Asana isn't a full-on CRM, there doesn't need to be a swap-out company-wide because we can adopt it. It works great for project management, great work for marketing. You can even use it as a depository for resources for any information you have within your company. Hmm. Would you say that Faye has got that that process down? I mean, these engagements, you're, you're quite involved. Right. And so are, are they bringing you to the table knowing, you know, basically what you deliver um, or, or are you building this, you know, ad hoc or custom and unique to th- these these companies? Uh, remember this, that uh, I have been in, even though Asana is slightly different to a CRM, we've been in this field yeah. for 25 years. We've been in there mm-hmm. alongside a lot of these companies from the ground up, some of them have grown in parallel with the work that Fay have been doing with them with the implementation and the build out of the APIs. So we have, okay. we, have blue, we have blueprints, we have methodologies that we can implement via changing slight details to make sure this yeah. is a successful practice. Let, let's be frank if it was me Marky it wouldn't <laughs> it's not that it would yeah, be successful sure. it would just take me three years to implement this structure and methodology and blueprints where a company like Faye already have this rolled out we have all the yeah. templates we have everything in box we need it's all there we just yeah. have to we just have to play about with it and tailor it slightly but you know yeah. this better than anyone Marky that what will happen is as you work along different engagements, you see pain points and different aspects of uh, building out your structure that will change uh, accordingly. And this changes over mm-hmm. time with implementation of all different new software out there that companies take on. So yeah, it's ever evolving, right. but it's great that we've got a good framework to start with. 
cool. Can we talk more about that framework? I'm curious about the process. So you, you have these companies coming in, you have your design phase. How are you going about, you know, doing your discovery and really selecting the best tool for them, right? Like they can choose any CRM, but we would recommend Sugar for this company. Have you worked it down to different personas, industries to make those selections? Is that based on your experience or how do you determine what the best solutions are for your customers? Okay, so we're kind of steering off from my area of expertise because I don't, Sure. I won't, what I'm not there to do is tell people what to use. For example, you start yeah. to segue into CRMs, even though I did. We work alongside CRMs, but I'm, okay. I never have. But I would never, and we wouldn't tell a client that they should be using a certain CRM. Because as you well know, the clients we're dealing with, to try and get them to change something of that level, industry-wide, yeah. would just be, would be mayhem. What we do, okay. maybe on the AE side with the account executives, when they're rolling out their sales pitches towards their clients or taking on CRMs, they're already out there looking for that software to implement. Mm-hmm. Asana's completely okay. different. Enough. We could push Asana into anyone realistically because yeah. it is an adoptable software that can run parallel with a CRM. Okay. Fair enough. Okay, Let, let's bring it back then. Can you talk about HIPAA at all and, and you know, the connection to Asana? HIPAA? HIPAA compliance. Uh, not really. <laughs> not really? Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Again, no worries, no worries. The VP would answer any questions realistically. They would do that. Yeah. I, I, I'm only asking because I know that Asana at this point is not HIPAA compliant. We've had customers that, you know, we've had to implement and, you know, work around that, you know, when it comes to their, their data and, and all of those yeah. kinds of things. So I was curious if you had any experience implementing we have, we have with question. keeping in mind. Okay. Lots, obviously, because we work in the CRM sphere with, yeah. within that we need to be HIPAA compliant. But obviously, Asana, yeah. the problem with Asana is they're not, which means, uh, for example, government contracts, etc., would mean that we can't actually be within their systems. Yeah. So there are ways yeah. around that. But I can't really talk about that because it's not really my place to do. And I'd have to be very tactful about what I'd say. (laughs) Of course, of course. All right, let, let's bring it back then. We'll, we'll go a bit more broad here. Um, there's, there's a question that I always love to ask when I have these interviews, and this, this works out well because you're um, you know, an Asana user, and we, we follow them, and the marketing you know, really speaks to us. But I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the concept of work about work, right? All of the, the, the in-between you know, stuff that keeps us from doing the actual skilled work that we're doing. First question, I mean, without giving away too much, does that exist right now in Faye? What does that look like? And what do you and your team do to actively fight work about work? Unfortunately, work about work, in my opinion, for the time being, isn't going anywhere. <laughs> and the reason being sure. okay. is because Interesting. <laughs> there's way to, unless you're just using Asana, of course, but yeah. when you're dealing with, what is it, 10 to 25 apps a day, we're being told? Like, there's going to be a lot. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Ten, I mean, this is Asana's words from their playbook. Sure. So 10 to 25 okay. uh, apps a day. Now, 
mm-hmm. unless you're using Asana and you're a startup, a small to medium business that has no other implementation, like CRMs already rolling in the background, then you would be able yeah. to implement this uh, productivity app in correspondence with the APIs 10 times more smoothly. But you know, sure. when we what we're seeing here, Marky, is... Uh, enterprise level clients that are coming in and already have a plethora of software applications and yeah. you can we can implement Asana to a great degree with role, with having the integration with either Google or Outlook with Zoom a plethora of integrations but they're not so great when it comes not Asana but the CRM integration with Asana aren't so great because no, uh, the CRMs don't want that integration per se. They've got the one-way readings. Do you understand yeah. what I mean? Like it reads good one way, do. but not the other way. Yeah. So I think we're at early days. And as we see the growth of Asana, and especially as you've seen the market cap in the last nine or 10 months treble, if not quadruple, we will see oh, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Uh, exciting times to keep an eye on Asana. But as we see this happening and as we see this growth, it's going to be great to see where this leads. But this is where Bay comes into the fold with working with these companies because we can build out these integrations with our software team, with our development team and engineering team. But again, there's got to be... There's got to be permissions and accesses, of course. (laughs) So that's where where we are. Cool. Just just to touch on that market cap comment for a second. I mean, yeah, when they launched their IPO, I think they were trading at like $32 a share. And I, and I checked the other day, I think they're up to like $124. And I'm kicking myself because I did not get in when they first when they first opened it up. And I'm looking at it like, why did I do that? Yeah, they've nearly quadrupled um, their, their, their value over that time. So yeah, if there's ever a company that, you know, you're concerned about, you know, going under Asana is not uh, that company. Um, so you, you have your, 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 your things in place. You have your, your processes down. Um, and we're, we're constantly fighting work about work, but as you said, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So what systems do you have in place right now? What processes have you implemented to, you know, fight against it or alleviate it? What, what, what things are you and your team doing to like stay on track and make sure that you're hitting your goals and your targets? Well, for me, it's really simple because I use Asana and the yeah. day starts as it probably does for a lot of us Asana users in my tasks and messages. And yeah. I also then, I see... Asana working for three different levels. I see it working for the the worker bees who spend their days within the my tasks and messaging and completing their tasks within that area. The project build out for managers and then for for example practice leads, they work within portfolios, goals. So there's a broad spectrum of areas that Asana is really good for. Now, how I keep on, like, from the last, like I said to you, 18 months, I use, I don't use list, I use the calendar view, and all my tasks for everything is within there, and dependencies, and everything I build out, I go to my tasks, and then I can look at timelines, and I can use dependencies, and it really works really well, because as you know, for one Mm -hmm. thing, it keeps everyone accountable that's in line in your team, 
uh, everyone else yeah. can kind of really take a view of who's holding who up. And the communication right. system is so much better for me because I can just at mention, obviously, in the settings, I can make sure early adopters are getting their email sent through to them as well because, you know, it's not easy to wake up in the morning instead of going to email, go into Asana because you, yeah. you go to email. like It's just ingrained because we've been working that way for so many years. But now it's I'll true. just go straight to Asana. Like, I'll turn off my email yeah. notifications. I just have my Asana notifications. At the moment, I'm all in 24-7 Asana. So all I care about is Asana. <laughs> so I'm, Beautiful. I'm making sure everything's fluid, everything works, and it's working for other people. Because I want to make my team's life easier. I want them to go to the gym at 1 p.m. in the afternoon mm. for an hour or two. I don't want them to have to yeah. think that they've got to be next to a computer like 10, 12 hours a day because that's not the way we work. That's not the culture we're trying to build, not just at Faye, but worldwide. This is the whole reason yeah. for Asana being Asana. They want to make work more progressive, easily communicable, and fluid. And I believe that implementing Asana, at, even at your own personal level, will really help implement a more productive life and a lifestyle. It's beautiful. Yeah, you're totally like living up to the company's you know, goal and mission, but also your personal right? Goal and vision for your life and how you want to live. I love that. Taking time off in the middle of the day to go work. That's so counter, you know, um, to the way the rest of the world operates. But I think that's why a lot of us, you know, either get into business for ourselves or, you know, do what you do and, you know, travel the world and, you know, work remotely. It's a beautiful thing. So congrats to you for um, actually like sticking with, you know, what you believe. Uh, I'm curious, though, just as we're kind of bringing things to a close here, you work with so many different companies across different industries and you may have just said it. But what's what's the thing that they're not considering or the thing that you think is most important that you know they hear or that you communicate to them when it comes to implementing the right systems in their business? I would say that it's hard to change management's always a hard a hard pill to swallow because people yeah. don't want to change their life. And this is right. this is one of the biggest uh, pushbacks and the biggest blockages we have is that people don't want to change. They don't want another application. They don't want another software that they have to learn. Mm -hmm. So this is what we find the hardest is telling, I'm not, telling, training people and early adopters and finding the advocates, which as we know, Asana have got a great scheme for early adopters and advocates. Mm. But what we yeah. find is trying them to sing the company policy, trying to get them to go with the company line and implement it. I'll just find that the best way of, and again, I'm, I'm using language that probably isn't proficient, but the best way of selling Asana to your team is the productivity you and time you save. So the productivity you create within your work and the time you're saving. So this is my, I'm not sales, but this is when I'm trying to get the key stakeholders to adopt, this is how I say yeah. I like to run them through my own personal experience, and that usually helps okay. them adopt, and I find that works really well. And again, it's on a micro level as well. It's not, we're not taking them into everything Asana does in functionality. At first instance, I'm selling them on how productive my life is as a traveler by using the app 
on top of everything it's else great. to alert me, especially with the functionality now of timing on your tasks. I can be alerted at a certain time when I'm supposed to be doing something. So rather than at a different it. time on my phone or in something else, it can all be done within one app, which just is so much better like, than jumping between apps constantly. And you forget, right? I love, <laughs> yeah, I love the personal touch, speaking from experience and, you know, really building that rapport and that trust with people. I'm, I'm sure that goes a long way and it, you're clearly so passionate about it. So <laughs> there's no wonder why you've been so successful. Um, thanks so much for that. I mean, wh- where can people get in touch with you? Are, are, are we sending them to Faye? Like, I, I know you're on LinkedIn. That's where we connected. Where would you want people to find you and uh, learn more about or connect with you? LinkedIn, just come over, say hello. I'm all about, as you know, Mucky, I'm just about building networks, relationships. Yeah. I'm not trying to sell you nothing. I don't, that's not what I'm about. I'm about building relationships because relationships are the building blocks uh, that sustain life, in my opinion. You know, friendships are more, mean more to me than sales. They might kick me down that's the road great. for saying this, but this, <laughs> that's just my outlook. I'm sure they won't. It's all just great. <laughs> it's all love yeah he uh he's just doing his part um thanks so much michael really appreciate you coming and taking the time out uh to chat today i'm glad we, re- we got a chance to do this finally and uh, thank you for having me on and listen while i can i appreciate the work you're putting out there and the content it really doesn't go miss it's great stuff and we just need creators like yourself and companies like yourself out there you know so thank you oh i appreciate that appreciate that thanks so much no Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.